The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Second and ten. Lamb on the run. Just heaves it. Interception. Down the sidelines is Prater. And Prater will go the distance. 89 yards, Sean Prater. Nice job by Sean Prater right there. You can see the strength out jumping, being stronger than the wide receiver, coming down with the interception. 89 yards later, touchdown Hawkeyes. Hello Hawkeye fans, this is John Patchett, and welcome to the first 2011 football show from Hawkeyes Mike. On this week's show, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and listen to two reporters' notebook segments, this week featuring the Gazette's Mark Morehouse and the Burlington Hawkeyes' John Bonencamp. You'll also hear from Rob Patchett about the key rules changes in NCAA college football this season. Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are expanding this year, and will include regular Brent Balbinot, as well as numerous guest commentators and reporters. We will also be featuring up to three separate shows weekly, so stay tuned for updates and expanded features in the coming weeks. You will hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Iowa State's Paul Rhodes. We'll review the Iowa-Tennessee Tech game and take a look at the Big Ten Conference. We'll also preview the Iowa-Iowa State contest. The Iowa-Tennessee Tech game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with Tom Wormy and former Hawkeye Danon Hughes. A decent job calling the game, especially given the weather and technical problems. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Vandenberg. McNutt. Complete. Down the sideline, McNutt. They won't catch him. Good night, McNutt. <laughs> what a great play by your senior captain, Marvin McNutt. 17th career touchdown right there. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville. Marsh Cook for all your investment needs. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz had this to say shortly after his team posted a season-opening 34-7 win over Tennessee Tech. Really had a strange feel to it, every part of it. Well, that probably sums up the feeling of the coaches, players, and fans who were all forced to evacuate Kinnick Stadium in the third quarter during a torrential rainstorm and the imminent threat of dangerous lightning. This was Iowa's first-ever mid-game suspension in Kinnick, and when the game resumed nearly 90 minutes later, only a few fans returned to see what amounted to a scrimmage for the Hawks. Holding a commanding 34-zip lead, Iowa played mostly reserves on both offense and defense for the remainder of the contest. There were too many fumbles, too many drop passes for the Hawks, some of which could definitely be attributed to the weather. Nevertheless, Iowa did what it needed to do in this game, showing a balanced offensive attack and a relentless pursuing defense that, for the most part, contained Tech's fast-paced version of the spread offense. The Hawks had several standouts, Quarterback James Vandenberg turned in a solid performance. Wide receiver Marvin McNutt had an outstanding game, while fellow wideout Keenan Davis looks like he's beginning to fulfill his promise. Cornerback Sean Prater had a highlight reel interception, which he returned 89 yards for a TD, a dagger in Tech's heart when they were threatening deep in Iowa territory at the end of the first half. And middle linebacker James Morris picked off a pass over the middle and showed why he was a terrific running back at Solon High School with a 52-yard return. Apart from the weather, the biggest disappointment of the day was the injury to promising true freshman running back Mikhail McCall, who replaced Marcus Coker after Coker fumbled twice in the early going. McCall racked up big yards, showing both elusiveness and strength before breaking his right ankle in the second quarter. McCall is likely lost for the season, which puts stress on the running back position for the Hawks. So, what else is new? Now it's on to Ames to face in-state rival Iowa State from the ever-shrinking Big 12 Conference. These games are very close more often than not, and the Cyclones are coming off an opening nail-biter victory over the University of Northern Iowa that certainly boosts their confidence as they prepare to face the Hawks. Great story. Compelling and rich. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time.
Post-game notes and key stats. With Iowa's victory over Tennessee Tech, the Hawks are now 90-31-2 in season opening games. Iowa has won 11 straight openers and is 11-2 under head coach Kirk Ferentz. The Hawks had eight first-time starters in this game, four each on offense and defense. Iowa was three for four in the red zone, scoring a field goal and two touchdowns, and the Hawks scored 10 points off of Tech turnovers, both interceptions. Most meaningless stats from this game, total offensive plays, 73 for Tennessee Tech to 59 for the Hawkeyes, and time of possession, 33-22 for Tech and 26-38 for Iowa. Most meaningful stat in this game, time of possession, 84 minutes for the weather, leading to the longest third quarter in Iowa football history. And the Hawkeyes finish it off after the great play from Davis on the goal line. They take it into the end zone for the first touchdown of the game. Vandenberg kept it and took it into the end zone behind his line. That penalty previous must have been about an inch yeah, when they I'm marked trying, it they off. Yeah, they say half the distance to the goal line. Exactly. Not too much there, but a nice job of the leadership that Vandenberg showed in that drive, really doing a nice job passing and running. Time now to hear from Iowa head coach Kurt Ferentz, who talks about the season opener against Tennessee Tech. The conditions were, were more than unusual, so it's probably a good learning experience from that standpoint. Uh, certainly got some opportunity to work, work with a wet ball and uh, you know experience in a delay, that type of thing, and hopefully it won't happen again this year, but you never know, so at least hopefully we learn something there. Then moving forward, obviously this is a big game for, uh, for us. Um, going up to Iowa State, it's a big game, I think, for both teams, fair to say that. Uh, it's certainly a tough place to play, and uh, you know it's a place uh, uh, we can anticipate. You know a lot of intensity uh, in all areas, not only from our opponent but from the, the fans. And uh, you know that being said, we've got a lot of work ahead. We got a young football team right now that hasn't gone on the road. A lot of guys that haven't gone on the road and uh, had to encounter something like this. So it's. Uh, uh, it's going to be a big week for us. we got a lot of improvement to do, uh, knowing what waits for us on Saturday. Ferentz discussed running back Marcus Coker's performance. I'm not sure what everybody's expecting. Uh, if, they, you know, if they're expecting 220 yards a game, that's probably not realistic. But Mark Marks is a good football player. Uh, yeah, the most disappointing thing for us offensively Saturday, in my mind, was the fact that we put the ball on the ground four times. Uh, that, that's not a good thing in any circumstance. One of those was a special teams play. But uh, you know, we're, we're not going to win consistently doing that. That. And uh, yeah, in this case, uh, you know, Marcus had his hands or was involved in a couple of those plays. But you know, the, guy, the guy, you know, we, we've been around Marcus now for over a year. He's a tremendous young man, quality person, quality player, and uh, he'll bounce back. That'd be my guess. I think he'll have a great week and you know, come back ready to go Saturday. Ferentz was asked about his impressions of Iowa State quarterback Steele Jantz. Pretty obvious. There were like uh, three quarters where he struggled and. Uh, looked like a, a guy that was new and a guy that wasn't comfortable. And then the fourth quarter, he did a great job of, uh, you know, helping his team win. And you know, at the end of the day, that that's what counts in that ball game. They they got the job done, kind of like us two years ago against you and I. You and I is an excellent football team, and I know they knew that. We knew that. And the bottom line is, you know, he made some made some really good plays in that fourth quarter and gave him a chance. And you know, that's that's what quarterbacks try to do. So. I think he's got his probably jitters, you know, the first game jitters uh, down the tubes now, and he's ready to go. Kirk talks about the play of his defense in the opener. There, you know, there were a lot of good things on the film, and, uh, you know, it was communication was good to start with. thought the guys ran around pretty well, but, you know, we, we didn't tackle real well as a defense. You know, we didn't tackle great on special teams, but we didn't tackle real well. And there, there are some things we can improve upon, certainly, in all areas and defensively. But, but that being said, it was good just to, you know, you got a couple new safeties out there. You've got guys up front a couple well, not more than a couple but two positions in the line probably about six guys that hadn't played a lot uh, got their I can't say get their feet wet but uh, they did right more more ways than one and then uh, you know Kirksey did a nice job for a first time first time player too so it was it was good to get those guys running. Ferentz was asked to explain the Hawks success in the last two games against the Cyclones. You know turnovers factor into it that's that's one thing it jumps out uh, right off the bat and now, if you go back to 05, uh, it was the other way. You know, we we, uh, we we got ambushed pretty good over there, and I think we turned it over seven times. I think I think it was seven. Seemed like 17. 
and I think they only turned it over twice. So turnovers throughout this series historically have been big, and then you know, in 07, we went over there and fell behind. 12 uh, nothing, I think, right off the bat or, you know, first half. Had a field goal blocked, I think, in the second half after we had 10 guys on the field. Uh, you know, just and then they hit a big play on us at the end and converted the field goal. So, you know, anything can happen. It's, it's uh, two teams are going to be playing hard and mistakes, you know, those obvious things, those old cliche things are usually pretty true in a, uh, a rivalry series like this one. So it's it's team that plays the cleanest is probably going to have the best chance to win. Ference discusses the play of his defensive line. Again, it was a good start, a uh, positive start, but it'll be tougher uh, this week. And I don't, I don't say that with any disrespect to Tennessee Tech, but uh, if you look at the their players compared to what we're going to see this week, you know, we're, we're going to be outweighed. I haven't done the math on it yet, but, you know, I mean, we're going to get dwarfed here uh, up front. So it's going to be, you know, again, it wasn't that long ago. We couldn't get off the field. They ran the ball right down our throats at the end of that 07 game. We couldn't get off the field. So you know, those are things you don't forget about. And, you know, if we're not doing a good job with our technique and really trying to get off blocks, you know, it could be, it could be tough. And Coach Ferentz talks about the rivalry game against ISU. Yeah, it, it's just it's, just, it's good for the state. It's good for football, I think. And uh, this is one week, I think, from you know border to border, people are talking about the game. And uh, I think it's fantastic. And you know, on that note, uh, with the league talking about expansion, I think in 07, expanding to nine games, at least it looks like the series is going to be able to uh, continue, which is, is great. It would be a real shame, I think, if it ever got discontinued. So it's, it's all good. It's all good. And we're going to play you and I in the future. And I think that's good, too, just like, you know, Iowa State's done it. Uh, and it's... You know, it's just good for the, you know, we've got a great football state, if you will, and uh, from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, it's just, I think it's a good thing. Iowa State head coach Paul Rhodes visited with the media this week, and he assesses his team's play in the opener against Northern Iowa. It's good to be 1-0. Um, we have uh, absorbed and learned a lot uh, since Saturday night. Now it's time to take that that knowledge and uh, improve our football team. Uh, one word I would use to describe what that's going to take, and that's that's work. Rhodes talks about his new fast-paced offense. The tempo was was faster. We uh, gradable snaps were somewhere in the high high 70s. Uh, when you count times we lined up in the line of scrimmage and had dead ball penalties and all that, I think it was it was upwards of 87. Um, that, that's a lot of snaps in a football game. That's that's where we'd like to be. Um, you know, th there was an overall lack of execution in, in the first game by our football team, and, and that overrides more any thoughts that I had about uh, whether the tempo uh, uh, was, was successful or not in accomplishing what we, what we wanted. Rhodes was asked about Iowa's defensive line. Still a strength for them, without a doubt. Uh, still a strength for them. Uh, th th they reload at that position. You know, Daniels leads that group. He's a, he's a fantastic player. Uh, they continue to get good push in the pocket and then pressure on a quarterback, and, and uh, you're just never going to have much success running the football against them. Um, they did lose some, some great players. Are, are they as good right now? Probably not, but, uh, but they are a very, very good defensive line. Rhodes addressed the Cyclones' struggles against Iowa the last two years. They've played really well uh, against us. Uh, credit to them. They're a good football team. They're a good football program. Um, there's something about that in, in playing well. And I think last year, uh, I, I imagine they graded out pretty well. There weren't a lot of mistakes by their football team a season ago. Um, our, our football team has not performed well in this game. Um, you, you over-prepared, Coach, you're putting too much into it. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that's the case. I, I think we've, uh, uh, we've gotten manhandled at the line of scrimmage in, in, in both years, and if we're going to change the outcome, that's where it's going to start. Rhodes was asked how Iowa's offense is different with James Vandenberg at quarterback as opposed to Ricky Stanzi. I mean, they're, they're doing what, what they do as, as a football team. Um, I, I thought he played a very good uh, uh, opening game for them, and, and uh, I don't think they'll have much drop-off at the position, certainly as the season goes along. Rhodes discusses his quarterback, Steel Jantz's performance in the opener. He made some mistakes that, that uh, uncharacteristically, that, 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 that he hasn't made. Uh, you know, he, he rolled outside and uh, uh, threw back against his body in the middle of the field for a bad interception. I mean, my wife Vicky knows not to do that. Um, but 
he hadn't done that in, in all training camp. First game jitters, um, trying to make a big play when something was, was not there. Those are the things that he's got to make sure he doesn't do in, in the future. Um, I, I thought he was a, 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 a really a, a shining star as far as the offense is concerned. Um, he made big clutch plays at the end of both halves, at the end of the game, certainly when the game was on the line, and certainly when he was uh, uh, tired from a physical standpoint. So uh, coachable things that every position coach works on, can't do this, got to do this, don't don't read that, throw this. Um, but overall performance, I, I was pleased with Still Jansen's first game. And Coach Rhodes explains what a win over Iowa would mean for him and the Cyclones. But this is this big game. Uh, it, it's an in-state rivalry game uh, that there, there's bragging rights, um, that there, there's uh, recruiting uh, ramifications that go along with it. Uh, but maybe more importantly, it's a game that, that uh, we've got whipped in the last two years. Nobody likes to get whipped. Um, and, and, and we look forward to playing better uh, as a football team ourselves, bottom line. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. We welcome back former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook for his weekly stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Never seen weather like that at a football game. You know, I have, but I've never seen. I mean, I've never seen in all my years of Iowa football like a can't you know a delay uh, where they actually physically take you out the field for more than two or three minutes. You know, so um, bizarre. And then across the whole Midwest, I mean, there was game after game after game. So, and obviously, it's it's the right thing to do. The safety's the, the number one paramount, not just for the players but for the fans. And um, but just bizarre, you know. One of those deals where the teams that use that time effectively in the closer games are going to be the teams that you know mature and and uh, learn how to handle adversity as they get into their conference schedule. So, you know, it's, it was good for the younger players to actually have to deal with some of that stuff because otherwise it can kind of turn into a big pillow fight, but you actually have to make it work. And, and I think Iowa staff did that for the most part. Did you ever play in a game like that either at the college? Well, probably not at the college level, obviously, but in the pros? I, I played on a Monday night game against the Green Bay Packers when I was at the Chicago Bears. It was Halloween night, and it was 35 degrees, 45-mile-an-hour winds, and it poured the whole game. And it was miserable. Um, you know, it's it was unique in to watch the Iowa fans because they the, the worse the weather, the more frenzy they were, the louder they were. And it was actually when it got to howling and dark, and and that's when they were at their 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 loudest. And it was it was kind of cool to watch. But I know defensively, it's fun to play in that that environment. But offensively, it's it's tough. The I mean, wind's blowing, water the ball's wet. You know, you got to really work on your fundamentals. Three points of pressure on the ball tucking it away, you know, catching it, watching it in a little extra half a second, and then roll it away and tuck it up. So, uh, you know, a lot of things you got to work on offensively when you get weather like that. What's the bigger problem for especially a receiver tight end? Is it footing? Is it catching the ball? Is it the wind affecting the flight and trying to adjust your route? I, I think it's uh, it's mostly just that when the ball gets really, really wet. If it gets if it gets damp, it's it actually gets tackier. Um, but when it gets really, really wet, um, it gets slick. And then that's when you, you know, you get in the habit of catching the ball and it's really tacky and it kind of just sticks to your hands. But when the, when the ball's soaked and the temperature's not as warm as it normally is, you really have to tighten everything down. You really have to watch it in. You almost have to cradle it in to some extent at certain times. And you just can't make the same type of hand catches that you normally would. Uh, but that's just, you know, you have to practice in it to kind of understand that. And, um, and then if the wind's blowing on top of it, you know, you're, you're not going to catch as, as clean a spiral. So, um, you know, just a type of situation where you just got to deal with it as it, as it presents itself. And, and, uh, and, and so from that standpoint, I think it was a good work environment for, for the Hawks and some of the younger players especially. They talked after the game about for the quarterback, the ball actually gets heavier. I, I mean, can you 
put that into a percentage or I mean what does that do for the quarterback is bigger issue for him I suppose in a receiver it really is I mean it does it does because it gets waterlogged basically the leather gets soaked and and you know obviously you lose a little bit of the grip and, the, and then the velocity because of of um, you know the, the weight of it and so I mean it probably adds I would say it adds um, you know believe it or not it's a, a good amount of, of weight to it um, and, and the same thing from the kicking game. You're just not going to have the, the, the reaction of, you know, when you put your foot into the ball. So, but uh, I thought Vandenberg did a nice job of handling the elements. I thought he was solid, uh, got the ball to the right spot at the right time, and uh, you know was smart about getting it to McNutt quite a bit. You know when he needed to play. So, um, I mean that's the that's the sign of a true winner. You know at the quarterback position. Sometimes you don't always want the best thrower, the best fastest guy, or whatever. You just want a winner, and I think that's what Vandenberg brings to the table. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of a Jim McMahon type of guy, just a great leader, field general, that you just have a feeling that when you need to make a play, he's going to make it for you. From the press box, it looked like he was actually more accurate when he was zipping the ball or on the long passes than a couple of those little touch passes he tried to throw over the defender in the end zone. Is that just mostly the wind affecting the softer thrown balls? You know, I think that's a lot of it. And, you know, I think... You know, when you get in the red zone, things get a little tighter. And, and, and if you miss, you, you, when you miss in the red zone, a lot of times you got to make sure you miss on the right side of it. Uh, and I'm talking about it, you just can't underthrow something. And so if you miss, you have to miss, you know. And so sometimes I think those misses get magnified because everything is a little bit tighter in there. The coverage is a little bit tighter. We're out in the middle of the field. You know, if, if you got a receiver that's wide open, you just kind of make sure you don't over, you know, throw them too much. So, um, but, you know, the, the key is just ball security and you know, make good decisions good choices and sometimes the best choice is a no throw or the best choice is a throw that's just you know lands in the second row or something so uh, and I think he I think he gets that part of it so uh, I'm excited about his development you know obviously he's still a young guy at this position um, you know his experience at Big Ten is not you know he doesn't have a lot of minutes you know bagged there yet but uh, I've really been impressed with what I've seen so far. I know every year you always talk about, well, what do you really take away from these early games in the season? We don't really know how good they're going to be. And when you factor in the, the Tennessee Tech um, and how good they might or might not be, and and then especially the weather, what what did you take away from this game? I mean, what did it really tell you about where the Hawks are right now? Well, I mean, I was really worried coming in. I mean, 23 returning starters. You know, I think you've got, you know, basically 20 – Four positions, you know, between this offense, defense, special teams. So, uh, and, and these guys went into Arkansas last year. They went in and played TCU last year. So they, I mean, obviously they weren't afraid to come into Kinnick Stadium. They got a unique style. I think the weather was brutal on their system. I mean, they want to get up tempo. They want to move the ball. They want to spread it all over the place. Uh, and I think the weather was not conducive to that type of offense. So I think that really hurt them. You know, the frustrating thing for me, and not frustrating, but you know, it was still. You know, you know, we didn't hammer them early. You know, we didn't jump on them and put them away. And you know, it was 20-21 or something, nothing right before the half. And they were driving. They actually had the ball. I thought they were moving it. And then they threw a pick six, I think, that made it 28 nothing at half. But you know, I could have just as easily been 21 for seven going into halftime. And then you know, you know, you're not where you want to be. We're 28-0. Obviously, it looks a lot better. So. You know, I just want to see, you know, more plays like McNutt, you know, going 65, 70 yards. Uh, you know, the running back, running game, you know, busting off 50, 60-yard runs, really stressing defenses. Um, and, and uh, you know, but, but defensively, I was actually pleased. I mean, I, I think there's been a lot of question marks there. Uh, you know, not sure how the personnel was going to fit, losing the players that they've lost, being with linebackers that are a little bit undersized. Uh, I think that's effective, but we still got to be concerned when you play a Wisconsin or a team that really wants to line up and just get after you. I think we'll match up better with the Purdue's, the Northwesterns now with faster, quicker guys, but I, I still worry about the more physical teams. So, but I think that's just a, a work in progress. But you know, for the whole heart, you know, for the most part, I'd say it was a B performance. You know, and um, you know, very, very pleased with a lot of the deal. Obviously, not excited about the, the running back getting hurt because I thought he was, I thought he looked really, really good. Um, and you know, anytime you have depth at running back, you got a good team, and and you know that type of depth is just going to make all the other running backs better. You know, so um, that's sorry to hear about that injury, but you know that's part of football. 
it, it was uh, at the end of the half there, it, I, I tweeted at halftime that the most meaningless statistic in that game was time of possession, which was virtually identical for both teams. And Prater's pick six and that 89-yard return for the touchdown right at the end of the half when they were driving, that really made a big difference in that game. It, it really did. I mean, like I said, I thought for the most part, you know, it was still touch and go. Not touch and go, I, I was in control, but... You know, I thought Tennessee Tech still was in the game, and then that obviously hurt him. And then the pick that James Morris took back, uh, you know, I mean, those were those were big kind of plays that, you know, I was going to need to make in the Big Ten type settings if they want to beat, beat some people and upset some people and make a run at the Big Ten championship. So, uh, but, you know, that's they made them Saturday when they had to, and it's just a matter of them continuing to do so. Do you think the the defensive line rotation, I know Kirk talks about they're doing it because of the lack of experience, but how much do you think it really reflects somewhat of a philosophical shift given how much trouble the Northwesterns and those types of teams have given Iowa's defense? They just get gassed. Aren't they less likely to get gassed with that big of a rotation in there? Well, I think that's, yeah, you, I mean, I, you, you have to, the biggest thing as a coach is you have to decide if your number one is better at 70% or 65% or 60% than your number two is at 95 or 100%. And so you got to constantly find that happy medium of saying, well, what, at what point do we need to get this guy out? Because this guy physically cannot push and get the corner anymore, set the edge on the, you know, the running game. So, you know, you've really got to either develop depth, which is what you want to do early in the season, or you got to, you know, find out who can go, you know, who can go 60 minutes. And so, you know, I think it's a combination of let's see who we got, let's see who can play still. But um, ultimately, I, you know, that's if, if you end up having five or six guys that can go in the, in the three down line or the four down line position, that's obviously better off to have. So I think that's a work in progress because that's the one area that I've, I've kind of heard things that, you know, they're searching to figure out exactly where they're at in that position. It also looks like the linebackers this year have the physical attributes almost more like safeties. They're fast. Um, they're not quite as big. But you know, Saturday it was clear that no matter how far to either side Tech tried to stretch the field, Iowa's defense, I don't think they ever turned up a play that they tried to push outside. That's exactly right, and that's that's what you have. I mean, when you have, uh, you know, 220, 218, 225 linebackers, um, you got guys that can run, you got guys that can cover, uh, which is great defensively. And like I said, it's great for the most part in, in a lot of our matchups that we'll face in the Big Ten. You know, the big concern is, is you know, you get 330, 350, 340, you know, coming downhill at you all day long. You need either a front forward that's wreaking havoc on the offensive line and not allowing the guards or tackles to get up on the linebackers, or you better have some linebackers that can run through or avoid big linemen. You know, and that's that's the concern and that's the that's the the mismatch you have when you go with undersized linebackers. Now, it does seem like this year the biggest change in the defense is all of the interchangeable parts. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think. You know, I think on the back end, we're pretty good. I think the secondary is actually going to have some good depth there in the corners. You know, if you have good corners, defensively, you can do so much more. If you got corners that can lock down man, uh, you know, for two and a half, three, three and a half seconds, then you can really do some things defensively to cause some problems for an offense. But, and I think we're okay there. I think we're pretty solid. So, and then I think our safeties are disciplined and, and, and always in the right position. So, you know, I, I really think as the season goes along, that front seven is going to be huge for the Hawks and how they hold up against, you know, one, the Big Ten schedule, and two, the physical demands that those positions bring. Uh, but I'm excited about it because I think that when Iowa, you know, when you can sit there and say seven names and, you know, say, well, I recognize two or three of those, that's when Iowa's usually, you know, at their best. But, if, you know, if you got a lot of bell cows, uh, sometimes, you know, you have too many Chiefs and none of, none of Indians. Where I think this could be an 11 group of, you know, group of 11 that actually play as all 11, and uh, play team defense. And if you know, if you, if you got a group of guys that they do their job, knowing the guy next to them is going to do theirs, you got a pretty good defense. It's when you get caught doing someone else's job that's usually when you have problems. When Morris intercepted that pass and made that run back, did that remind you of the days coaching I, against him up you know, at Solon? I, I still think he might be the best running back at Iowa. I mean, that guy's phenomenal and. You know, he was patient with it. I mean, he, he just knows what to do with the football, and, and he's always in the right spot. And, and um, 
I mean, it's it's fun to watch him play football. That's for sure. Are you surprised Derby's now the backup quarterback? What do you expect out of him? You know, I, I, I yeah, I mean, not not really. I mean, he's a he's a great athlete. Obviously, he's got a great uh, background with his family, and, and John played a lot of football. Was a very smart football player. Obviously, they've got a good pedigree from that standpoint. So. Not surprised. I mean, I don't know much about Wanky or the other guys, to be honest with you. Um, you know, and that's, to me, a lot of times that's just a, a thing on the paper. You know, 2 or 3 or 2A or 2B or whatever. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's Vandenberg's job. Uh, if, if he gets hurt, you know, then Derby's the next guy in. But ultimately, I mean, you know, that's going to be depending on how he plays once he does get in the game, if and when he does get in the game. Before we preview Iowa State, let's talk just a little bit about the tight ends. It looked Saturday like they were running a lot more sets where you had not just a double tight end on the same side, but you had the, the second tight end almost like in an H-back or setback. It, that seems to be something they're going to do deliberately this year. What's What does that accomplish, and do you like that scheme? It is a good package. I think it's a really good package, especially if your if your tight ends are like backs. And I think uh, Derby and Herman kind of fit that mold. They're they're pretty good move guys. You can create with motion or shifting. You can create a balance or you can create an overload uh, with with that motion pretty quickly. And it forces the defense to decide whether they're going to stay in it, they're going to slide or shift or whatever. And so, if you have that ability, that that makes sense. Uh, also, if you you know, it forces the defense to say, "How are we going to? Are we going to stay base? We just keep, you know, four down linemen, three linebackers, or we're going to go nickel." Well, if you go nickel, you bring in extra DBs. Now we've got bigger guys than they have, and so now we, you know, we have the advantage in the running game. Now they have the advantage in the passing game. Well, if they stay base, now you have tight ends running routes against linebackers, and if the tight ends are shifty enough, that's an advantage for the offense. So, um, you know, I, I was shocked to see uh, Fedorowicz in that H position. I don't think he's a move guy. I think he's too big to be moving and trying to get underneath guys when he's moving. I think he's a tight end guy with his hand on the ground. Uh, but I, I think Herman and Derby definitely fit that role as the H back or that little wing tight end. Or you know, or if you go ace or, you know, a balance set, then they're both on the tight end position. I think, you know, all three of those guys fit that role pretty well. Yeah, it was interesting, I didn't keep track, but we noticed Quite a bit when they lined up in that double tight end set on the same side, they actually ran the other direction. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. if, you know, a lot of times it's just based on the read. You know, it's if, if they overload to the to the tight end side, then you, you have the ability to run back weak, uh, and you just you know try to run where they're not. You know, uh, Coach Fry would say run where they ain't. So, um, you know, but the good thing is if they stay base, they stay balanced, and we overload, then we're going to stay strong, and we have the advantage. So. Uh, it, it's a it's a complicated and difficult thing to defend if you have athletes at the tight end position that can cause mismatches for you. Well, and one of the two fullbacks right now is a, a tight end. So, yeah, that's right. uh, do you think the fullback role is going to be lessened this season because of this use of tight ends? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's I, I think I don't know if you, I don't know if you'd say lessened. I mean, I think O'Keefe does a good job of. Um, Switching, uh, you know, formations, and, and it just gives him the ability to have a fullback out because he can have, you know, basically still one back with two tights, and then the tight end can actually motion or you know be in a, in a set. So it's they're almost interchangeable, to be honest with you. Uh, and so I just think it adds more depth to, uh, you know, basically when when I was playing, you know, Craig Clark, Mike, myself, and Mike Flag, a lot of similar stuff. A lot of times we were lined up right next to each other, or we were in a balance set, you know. Uh, and you know, basically two tight ends at the time. So it's great sets. I love it. That's looked like the most innovation we can expect out yeah, of Iowa's I mean, offense. We we are what we are, you know, and that's I mean that's the one thing is, and we're going to be good at it. That's you know that's the other thing you can kind of count on if, you, if we have the right personnel. So um, you know, you always want to have little wrinkles and stuff, but you basically at the end of the day you want to hang your head on something that you are, and I think that's what Iowa does so well. Uh, turning to this Saturday's game, the in-state rivalry, unless you were there, most people probably didn't see the game because it wasn't on TV. Iowa State's opener. They squeaked by what's supposed to be a pretty good UNI team. Um, what do you – do you have any sense of Iowa State this year? Road says it's his best team so far, what the Hawks might expect up there. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I always worry about you and I because I think you and I can be a pretty talented team. I mean, we had a good year, year the year you and I came down here and almost beat us. Uh, I think the Hawks went on and had a really good season that year. So, you know, we know you and I has talent. We know they're a pretty good football team. They're well coached. Um, I was shocked that you and I ran for 300 yards against them. I mean, I think that's a lot of rushing yards, if I, if I remember, if I read that right. But that's probably the biggest concern that I would have right now. Um, there probably is a lot of, you know, the three or four weeks of training camp was spent on maybe Iowa, you know, versus you and I. I mean, not been against you, you know, but a lot of times your, your pre-practice, your, your training camp stuff is, is sent on, you know, Big 12 play or, you know, some of your bigger opponents. And there wasn't as much focus on you and I, and that maybe showed during that game. But I, I, I really like the staff. I love Coach Rhodes. I respect him immensely. I think they're just getting better and better and better. And uh, so I expect a great game. I mean, I expect this is, you know, it was kind of a, probably a, a trap game for for Iowa State. Probably got their attention and their wake up call, and they'll be ready to play uh, this Saturday. You think after that string of losses that Iowa had against them, that the last couple of years, Ference is maybe putting a little bit more emphasis back on this game, although he would probably never admit that. I think, um, I think the, yeah, I think there's probably, I don't, I think their preparation has always been the same. I don't think, uh, I think there may be an awareness of the importance of it, you know, from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, you know, truly, I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, I, I thought my idea of the trophy actually was a piece of soil. You know, you take a piece of soil from Ames, you take a piece of soil from Iowa City, and, 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 and kind of it is, you know, that's, it's turf, you know. Um, and I get the agricultural element of it as well, but I mean, that's kind of what we are, rich in soil and, and, and land. And, and, um, and so the team that wins usually controls recruiting. You know, and when, and when Dan McCarney, was winning those series, he was getting kids out of Iowa City to, to go play football at Ames or go play you know football in these other locations. So, you know, I think it's big from that standpoint. I think when you start understanding that element of it and how that affects you two, three, four years down the road, you know, you really do lock in on it and say we need to win this game. And I, I think the players started to understand that as well uh, a little bit more. And as, as you obviously, if you have more Iowa kids on the roster. Um, they, you know, will relay that to the kids that come in from Texas or New Jersey or Florida, wherever they come in from. Before I ask for your prediction, I, uh, I tweeted at halftime too, and and I see that Pat Hardy did a column with this in the headline. Do you think back over the really Kirk's entire time here, pretty much, it is almost like there's some kind of a curse on the running back position. It, it we seem to have more injuries there, maybe at linebacker too, but certainly at running back, a series of devastating in, injuries. Is that just a fluke? Um, that's a good question. Um, I, I'd have to say yeah. I mean, it's although when you run zone. In your inside zone, the backs get hit a lot. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's not a finesse, it's not a spread, it's not, uh, it's a power running game, and your backs are going to take a lot of collisions, and you need to have big, strong, durable backs, and um, you know, so I mean, I think it, you know, statistically, statistics don't lie, and statistically, if you have backs that are getting hit you know, by three, four guys every time they touch the ball versus backs that are getting hit by one guy every time they touch the ball, like in a spread or Oregon type setting. You know, there's still going to be big collisions and, you know, multiple tackles and gang tackling. But, you know, the statistics will play out that if you bang it inside there all day long and you're going to get hit 50 times a game versus another guy that's going to get 15, chances are you're more susceptible to injury. But, you know, I, I think it runs in cycles and things are fluky that way. And, you know, one year it's shoulders, the next year it's ankles, the next year it's something else, you know, and then all of a sudden now you got hips or something, you know, hip flexors are flaring up and you're like, what, what, what are you, we're not doing anything different, you know, so I think, I think it's kind of, you know, more just a, an anomaly type thing versus, because uh, a lot of people run zone and stretch and stuff and have a power game, so. Kirk did say at his press conference, he, he was asked, um, if he thought about moving Morris back to running back. And he said, I have to admit, that was the first thought that came to my mind. And then he was asked if he'd actually consider doing that seriously. He said, absolutely not. He's just too important to him at the linebacker position. Yeah. yeah. Well, that makes, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I think, 
you know, and then now he's been out of it for two years. It'd be tough to train. I mean, that wouldn't be tough for him to transition back, but um, but he was built for it. I'm telling you, he he could definitely have done it. Prediction Saturday. You know, I I, I still think Iowa State's trying to get their their traction. I mean, I I think they're starting to get there. I, I don't think they have all the pieces in place yet for the puzzle. So I mean, I think Iowa's going to be too strong and too diverse across the board and too experienced across the board to to not win the game. But you know, to be honest with you, if things go bad early, if we if we make some key turnovers early, if we if we don't execute some you know special teams issues and the crowd gets into it and the players, this is a game where you know emotion can 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 determine outcomes. And it was a game that five, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, I always thought Iowa State played with more emotion than the Hawks did. Um, and, I, and that might just because of the preparation, all those other things, and they were, might just because they were better at the time, too. It's a funny thing how that looks when teams are better than you, they make you look bad. But, you know, so, but I, I do know if you have a team that's somewhat equally matched and they're playing, you know, fired up, enthused, excited football, and getting after you every snap and believing. The Hawks could be in for a longer day than they they want. So uh, that being the case, so I think they will take care of business. I think the preparation they've had for the last three, four, five weeks uh, with the discipline of the coaching staff probably had them on over those same time frames. Um, It's just going to be too much for Iowa State at this point in time. So I I think Iowa wins by 20, 20, probably 20 points, to be honest with you, is the range I would put it at. Lamb out of the pocket, intercepted. James Morris. Morris with some blockers. Down to the 10, first and goal, Iowa on the interception from James Morris. Great job by James Morris, a sophomore linebacker. In the Big Ten Notebook this week, the opening week of the 2011 season is in the books for all 12 Big Ten teams with a record of 10-2. and two. Minnesota lost a tough game at Southern Cal, and Indiana was upset by Ball State. It marks the sixth time in the last 11 seasons that the conference has recorded 10 or more wins during the opening weekend. With Penn State's victory last Saturday, Nittany Lions head coach Joe Paterno notched his 402nd career win spanned over 46 seasons. Paterno now needs only six more victories to tie former Grambling head coach Eddie Robinson as the winningest Division I head coach and seven more wins to become the all-time leader. Just simply amazing. With Wisconsin's win over UNLV last week, Badgers head coach Brett Bielma became the sixth fastest Big Ten coach since 1946 to notch 50 career wins. The five who were a bit quicker to accomplish this? Bo Schembechler, Joe Paterno, Earl Bruce, Lloyd Carr, and Jim Tressel. The first in-season rankings came out last Tuesday. The Big Ten has five teams ranked in both the AP and USA Today polls, plus three others, including Iowa, that received votes. Key games on this week's schedule include Penn State hosting Alabama in the marquee contest, plus Michigan hosting Notre Dame in a Saturday night game. The Iowa-Iowa State game is the first rivalry trophy game of the season for the conference. It will be the 59th meeting between the two schools, and the Hawks hold a 39-19 advantage, including winning the two last games and 21 of the last 28. The other day I was so desperate for a beer, I snuck into the football stadium and ate the dirt under the bleachers. Hawkeye's Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Time now for part one of our Reporter's Notebook with Mark Morehouse. You can read Mark's articles in the Gazette and online at thegazette.com. Mark, given the weather situation at Kinnick last Saturday, what did you really take away from that ball game and from Iowa's performance? I thought it was a generally positive performance. I thought uh, the offense moved the ball pretty well. I thought James Vandenberg shined. Uh, I thought he, he played pretty well. Um, he, he had trouble with the fade route, and I'm just kind of surprised that 
that thought it was rainy and miserable and windy and yucky so I'm not going to I'm not going to say you know oh my goodness you can't throw that uh, Marcus Coker obviously has work to do I think he you know he's played eight games in his career and I think that uh, he will play better has played better and I think we saw his worst game so I, I don't know if you can say what Marcus Coker definitively is eight games into his career but uh, there was you know a pretty bad chapter Saturday I think he bounces back uh, against the Cyclones um, I thought uh, Marvin McNutt showed I, I've said I've been saying all along way back when that uh, way back when he decided to come back to Iowa for a senior year that I think Marvin will be a first round draft pick and he sure showed that Saturday the defense I thought was generally positive I mean the defense of the, the first team defense kept Tennessee Tech out of the end zone and that's good that's kind of the goal of everything and I thought the defensive line played pretty well they didn't finish the way you need to the way they will need to against better teams they they had a few big lanes that a quarterback like say maybe Denard Robinson would probably take advantage of but Trey Lamb for in Tennessee Tech could not so it's a generally positive day overall for Iowa. Do you think in spite of what Kirk says and I and I talked with Marv Cook a bit about this too that the D-line rotation with all of the bodies it, it really is philosophically a shift and got more to do with all of these up-tempo offenses that they're playing and maybe an effort to keep people from being gassed like we've seen the last couple of years? I don't recall seeing much or any of a rotation Saturday. I know that Thomas Nardo and Dominic Alves sort of switched in and out. After that, though, I you know I, I don't remember a lot of rotation. I remember a, a very distinct line between number one, which was Daniel Sins, uh, LeBron Daniel, and Dominic Alves slash Thomas Nardo. And then the twos, which was uh, Steve Bigak, uh, Joe Gaglione, um, Nardo, and uh, Joe Forty. Uh, there was a very, very distinct line. They were in the second half, and they gave up 76 yards drive for the touchdown uh, that Tennessee Tech scored. They were not ready for prime time, and so I don't see, uh, I don't see a rotation at all here. I, I think maybe if Carl Davis comes back, which he's supposed to this week. I mean, he's cleared medically to play. I, I don't know if he actually plays because there's cleared medically, and then there's actual can you play football? And I'm not sure where he is yet. But uh, if he plays, then maybe you do have a rotation on the inside. Maybe you have that five or six guys with uh, Nardo. But as it stands now, I don't really see it. I think the personnel, I, I think you got to see what each guy is capable of. And there's a clear number one line, and there's a clear number two line. Let's shift gears a second. And, and what do you really see happening now at running back behind Coker, given McCall's injury? Well, I think uh, Jason White has been listed as a number two. We saw, we saw Saturday that was pretty much fiction when Mickey McCall was in there, which was the real the real storyline out of Saturday was the loss of a club looked to be uh, very productive and uh, talented and hungry freshman running back in Mickey McCall. So the, the ankle injury he's out for the year. I know Ferentz said on Tuesday that uh, they thought about maybe the end of the year, but I think now the thinking is that he's done for the year and so he'll come back as a freshman next year with a medical hardship waiver. So he's out and that hurts and that hurts Iowa's running game because now you're now I think really Jason White is number two not just fictionally I mean really he's number two he's the next experienced guy junior walk-on uh, sort of built like maybe one of the three guys who left you know uh, Mortimer Adam Robinson type build shorter uh, not not you know not thin six, he's probably about 5'9 205 and you know he has to do some things and he's called upon to, that he hasn't shown yet and that's always a big gamble you don't know uh, Damon Bullock is registered as gone he's in the game He's, he's going back to running back this week. Ferentz has said it numerous times. So he's, he started the game last week. He didn't start, but he played uh, slot wide receiver. He's going back to uh, running back this week. And then you have DeAndre Johnson, who I thought uh, played pretty well in the second half. I think he had 31 yards, maybe seven or eight carries, which is okay. Uh, I think coaches really wanted to see what he was capable of because, you know, he was hurt uh, his senior year in high school and down in Florida, toward ACL. Came back last year and wasn't really on percent didn't show much and now it's time to see what he can do because he's in the mix. Looking ahead to Saturday in the Iowa State game, what do you think Iowa's biggest
biggest concern should be with the Cyclones? Well, I think Iowa State's offense is going to make a dramatic improvement. Uh, quarterback uh, Steele Jantz really played well in the fourth quarter after basically really flubbing around in the first three quarters. He played, uh, he brought, scored, led two touchdown drives, pulled out the win. He scored the uh, game winner himself. Uh, for 40 seconds left, he rushed for 80 yards, led the Cyclones with 80 yards and two TPs rushing. So obviously he looked like he's a playmaker with his feet and made some decent throws with his arm. The throw he made to Josh Lenz to give Iowa State a lead late was uh, tremendous. But he threw some dumb passes too that got picked off. He had three pickoffs. So uh, I think Iowa State, though, this week, the big key is there for their offense is uh, the return of Colicchio Smelly, left tackle, who's NFL caliber, and uh, left guard, left or right guard, I can't remember, sure, Hayworth Hicks, who is also NFL caliber. I think uh, Hicks is coming back from a suspension. Uh, Osamelli is still kind of humble with an ankle injury, but he's going to give it a go this week, and he should be a little better. He was he a, lot of the, a lot of the Northern Iowa game, but I think he comes back better, and all of a sudden, Iowa State has the potential of a running game, because those are two big road grader type guys. Osamelli is 6'6", 350 pounds. That's a big boy. And then uh, uh, Hayward Hicks is 336. So that's, they're getting back basically almost 700 pounds of offensive linemen, and that can never hurt. Last, but not least, would be your prediction picks for offensive and defensive stars of this game Saturday for the Hawkeyes. Let's see. I think uh, Marcus Coker needs to come back, have a uh, game that uh, is more representative of what I think he might be. I think he's a, a, a hundred. I, I said before the year, he's a 1,200 yard back, and he needs to come back and show that. Also, he's just a really great kid and who's a pretty interesting guy who major wants is majoring in the astrophysics. He's taking uh, physics one and astronomy one this semester, and that's that's everything that college football should be about. And uh, how can you not like the kid? Defensively, I think uh, Sean Prater is. Uh, it's hard to say, you know, a cornerback really, you know, what does he do out there? I, I would say he's also getting back uh, wide receiver with Darius Starks this week who set out, set out a suspension last week. He's pretty good. I mean, he might be the guy that uh, Steel uh, uh, Steel Jams looks to go to quite a bit. And I imagine that uh, I was best corner, which is Prater will match up with him and if he shuts him down then your quarterback your quarterback was making his first start against an FBS team starts to get a little jittery and then makes a mistake so I think uh, Sean, this sounds like a Sean Prater type of game Prediction? Uh, I got Iowa 27-14 I think that uh, I think in uh, Paul Rozier Iowa State is 12-1 and when they held opponents under 24 and 1-12 and when they don't and I, I don't see I don't think Iowa State's defense will hold Iowa down. Uh, below 24. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. If you ain't first, you're last. Here's McNutt. Makes a move. Another one. And McNutt is into the end zone for a touchdown. 19 yards by <laughs> Marvin, Marvin McNutt. Nice job. Just runs a nice little wide receiver screen. Man-to-man coverage. And actually, surprisingly, when we look back at this play, Tom, it's bump and run man-to-man coverage. So not only does he beat him off the line of scrimmage, but beats the other 10 Golden Eagles to the end zone for the score. <laughs> HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Rob Patchett, a certified official, joins us now for an update on the key rules changes in 2011 for NCAA football in a segment we call Zebra Talk. There were actually about 15 rule changes and edits that were approved in 2010 that went into effect last week. But there are three I think we'll see have an effect most often and actually get talked about. Number one is the wedge rule on kickoffs. For player safety reasons, the rule has been implemented implemented that three or more players from the return team can't be lined up within two yards of each other, shoulder to shoulder, unless the kick is an obvious onside kick or results in a touchback. Number two is the 10-second runoff option for penalties to stop the clock in the last minute of either half. This is to prevent a team from gaining an advantage by committing a penalty that causes the clock to stop by rule in those timing situations. The offended team has the option of taking the yardage from the penalty and a 10-second runoff or just the yardage or declining both like in 
the past. Of note here is that the offended team can actually take a timeout if they have any remaining to prevent a 10-second runoff. Number three is the big one. Unsporting penalties can now be treated as live ball fouls. In the past, if a player taunted or dove from the five-yard line with no defender around them, the score would count and the unsporting penalty would be enforced on the extra try. This rule change means that if a player does something unsporting on the way to the end zone, but before the ball crosses the goal line, the score will be canceled and the penalty will be enforced 15 yards from the spot of the foul, which is where the unsporting act started to occur with the offense retaining possession. There are two other interesting ways this rule change can negate a score. The first situation would be where the live ball unsporting act creates a double foul, which is one or more live ball fouls by each team. An example would be if a defensive player is offside and it's flagged, but then the receiver taunts or high steps on their way into the end zone before the ball crosses the goal line. The live ball offside by the defense would now offset with the live ball unsporting penalty by the receiver. The score would be canceled and the down would be replayed. The second situation is if the runner is breaking away for a score and if a teammate of the runner commits an unsporting act back behind the play. An example of this would be a running back turns the corner and runs upfield toward the end zone because a tight end or offensive lineman threw a legal, really good block on a defensive player on that side of the field, but then stands over them and taunts them, drawing a flag before the runner gets into the end zone. This would also negate the score, even though the penalty wasn't by the ball carrier on their way into the end zone, and it'd be penalized 15 yards back from the spot where the taunting occurred. Harsh but good stuff, in my opinion, on number three there. Now we just need some new rules banning crash test dummy uniforms on the East Coast and requiring receivers and defensive backs to actually strap their gloves all the way on. Oh, this is awkward. I'm gonna walk, uh, I'm gonna walk this situation off and I will see you later. Nothing to look at. Go back to work, everyone. Don't act like you're not impressed. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check out the links for our up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. And check us out on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeye Mike podcasts through iTunes. Hawkeyes Mike now also features video highlights from the preceding week's games, not only for the Hawks, but for all Big Ten conference teams and teams from the other major conferences across the country. Check out the video section on HawkeyesMike.com. Also be sure to check out all the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and in the Daily Iowa. Postgame show is brought to you by... I can't find it. The hell with it. Time now for part two of our reporter's notebook this week with John Bonenkamp. You can read John's articles in the Hawkeye and online at thehawkeye.com. John previews the Iowa-Iowa State game. John, I know you had the chance to cover the Iowa State UNI game. What impressions do you have of the Cyclones, and what did you take away from that contest? What, what was really interesting was it was almost like it was two games for about three and a half quarters. They they didn't play well, made a lot of mistakes and all that. And for the last really seven or eight minutes of the game, they, they started to move the ball. They started to make smart plays. Uh, they started getting a push off the offensive line, which they weren't getting earlier in the game. And uh, you know, really, they they came on late, and so it, it was just kind of like it was a tale of of two teams out there, the two different teams, the way they played, and they played a lot smarter down the stretch, and that's how they were able to get the win. Your sense of the new quarterback? Um, you know, it, and again, he, he, it was it was a similar sort of thing with him for for three quarters. He 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 just really looked nervous, and he admitted after the game he had a lot of nerves. He you know he he didn't he he wasn't quite comfortable in in what he was doing. Doing and um, again in the last you know seven or eight minutes he started making good throws he was scrambling he was making you know really good plays all the way around and so um, you know he he my impressions of him he's, he's a strong he's a strong kid he's, he's hard to bring down when he when he gets a, when he's running the ball he's a scrambler he can get out of the pocket and uh, you know when he gets out of the pocket he can make plays um, his his problem early in the game on Saturday. Was was he was he made a he made a few poor throws. He had three interceptions. Two of them were his fault. One of them was a tip ball right there in the end zone that you and I was able to pick off. So, you know, again, he he really came on in the, at the end of the game. But um, you know, he was he was really ragged early on. The Cyclones are talking about how they're going to try to really ramp up the pace of the offense, and they ran over 80 plays. 
Was that a noticeable difference from what we saw with them last year? Yeah, they they don't. I mean, there is there is. I mean, they they want to play at a, at a fast tempo. There isn't any huddle. They they go. You know, they go as soon as the play is over. And um, you know, I mean, they they really want to get the play. And I mean, they really want to they really want to press the tempo of the game. And and at times they did that on Saturday night. And at times they it it just didn't work. They were three plays and out. And you know, Northern Iowa was able to come in and, and kind of grind out the clock. And they ended up you know with a, with a big difference in time of possession. But you know, they are a team that they want to play a fast tempo. And it's hard it's hard to make defensive adjustments when that happens because you're not able to get guys in and out. So that's something Iowa really has to be careful on on Saturday. Confidence. The food of the wise man, but the liquor of the fool. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights this week. Once again, another nice job of capturing the excitement of Iowa football. And thanks to our contributors, Marv Cook, Mark Morehouse, John Bonenkamp, and Rob Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeyes Mike, LLC.